Hey, I'm Seth Mosley, and you are watching or listening to the Full Circle Music Show, the why of the music biz. I'm live here at Full Circle Music Studios, where we have our Full Circle Academy songwriting retreat going on, and today's podcast is a panel live with one of my favorite bands, the Hunter Brothers, um, tearing it up on the Canadian radio country charts, and they share their story, dive into really what was the lowest point of their career and kind of what they learned from it. Um, we can often learn a lot from other people's successes, but we learn so much more from the struggles, and, and they, they opened up about that. And uh, we had some great, great audience questions as well, so stick around all the way to the end of the episode. Uh, hit the subscribe button on YouTube, or if you're listening on iTunes, subscribe to us, leave us a good rating and a good review. That helps um, other people discover the show. It really makes a big difference, so head over and do that if you haven't already. And we'll just jump right into the interview. We're live at the Full Circle Music Academy Songwriters Retreat. High performance. I love racing. I was in a big city for a while and uh, part of a racing group for a while, and so I love uh, I love that aspect of it. Uh, anything high performance, and so yeah, we have uh, we have a big shop on the farm, and so our tour bus we have uh, jacks that jack our tour bus up and so you can work on it above your head and so the one day I was working on it and I was frustrated and so I uh, ended up just hopping in one of the my uh, Toyota Supra and ended up doing figure eight drifts um, underneath the tour bus around the jack sounds and stuff and so one of the guys caught part of it on uh, it's on video, amazing so. you, yeah, guys so. need to, you need to look uh, up anyway. their social media and watch it because I'm yeah. like that is a brave soul yeah <laughs> anyway yeah yeah it's a lot less interesting here. I'm Ty. I'm the youngest of uh, the five brothers. Uh, I am our lead vocalist, um, and I also play keys at times. Uh, we were all classically trained uh, on the piano, and then we all branched off into different instruments from there. We were um, singing gospel music initially, and so we all we all actually contribute vocally to, to the band. So we sometimes sing in uh, two parts, three parts, four parts, five parts, depending on the song and depending on what we're, what we're uh, setting out to accomplish. But um, yeah, so I do that as well as a lot of our social media um, stuff right now, learning uh, ways to kind of interact and engage um, uh, fans and how the market is kind of going. So yeah, that's primarily my role. Yeah. I'm the bookend to time. My name is JJ. I'm the oldest of the five brothers and uh, I do a lot of the management work uh, for the band on that end of it. Um, we still have the farm, which we'll get into. Some of us take different roles on the farm. Some of us take different roles within the music business. Um, but my role primarily has been kind of the business management of the farming or of the music side of it. Um, and uh, I play acoustic guitar. I do background vocals for the group and uh, that's me. Yeah. Hey everyone, I'm Dusty. I am the uh, second oldest of the band, and I drum and uh, do uh, most of the vocal arranging. That's kind of actually almost what I enjoy more than drumming. I love singing, so uh, whenever we're doing stuff, we for years, like we talked about, we did we traveled more as a vocal group than anything for years when we were younger, and uh, that's kind of where my I really get excited is uh, the vocal arranging things, but. Uh, you need a drummer, so somebody yeah. had to do it. No. <laughs> I enjoy that, too. And uh, then I guess on the farm, from that standpoint, I do all the agronomy for the farm. So basically what we're growing where and why and whatnot. So yeah. You just used a word that I've never heard before. What, what does agronomy mean? Agronomy basically is just the study of plant health and soil health. So you determine why you're growing what what crop rotations work why you would grow this crop this year and that one next year and why it may not work and then trying to 
figure out how to grow the healthiest plants and how to go about that what plants need plant nutrition okay and uh, yeah the well my, my challenge to the room today is to use the word agronomy <laughs> in one of your <laughs> songs today yes incredible i've actually been bugged by some of my agronomy buddies to find it fit it into a song at some point he actually was texting there's actually a lot of rhymes it, so. with it it's yeah, true economy <laughs> thought of me <laughs> close lots of close wannabe <laughs> lobotomy Wanna be agronomy. Wanna be, yeah. Wanna Just be keep going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's get you, Luke. Yeah, you, you guys can see him. He's peeking out around the yeah, corner. Peeking out. <laughs> hey guys, my name's Luke. I am the middle one of us five boys, and uh, I play bass guitar. I sing baritone primarily. Um, enjoy very much. Uh, I, I'm not quite as good as this guy, but I do enjoy the uh, the harmony arrangements and figuring that stuff out as well. And on the farm, I primarily do all the marketing of our grain and selling to, uh, yeah, who's going to buy it and where it goes. And yeah, yeah so that's kind of that's what I'm up to. Is it safe to say that all of us have probably eaten a product of, of your grains at some point in our lifetime? I would, I would say there's a decent chance, yeah. 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 Well, it depends on if you guys like pasta well, or chickpeas or lentils. Pasta, chickpeas, hummus, lentils, flaps, <laughs> canola oil, yeah. yeah, all that stuff we, we grow and, and market, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so around the world. You can sure. thank them for all the delicious pasta that we eat. <laughs> yeah. We actually, last uh, last year, because um, we, we've done a couple of media tours right across Canada, and uh, often artists will interact in certain ways with the different radio stations. And so we thought, why don't we do something different? So we took actual red lentils that we grew on our farm, shipped them out with a red uh, lentil soup recipe, and thanked them for their <laughs> player songs. I don't know if it was a wise thing to do, but it was different. We got a lot of fun remarks for that. Yeah, That's awesome. Well, one one thing I hope you guys are gathering from just this little time with them is these guys are the hardest working group that I think I've ever met. Um, when they're not, I mean, it's like you guys bring the farming mentality to the music industry. And you, you notice that when they introduced themselves, they didn't just say, oh, I play guitar or I play bass and I play drums and that's my job. The, the, the drummer also does all the vocal arranging and the, the guitar player also does the business management and Ty does the social media. I know this is a songwriting retreat, but making a living in the music business requires us to have multiple skill sets, um, especially as a songwriter. It can be very difficult uh, just making, making it work. So one thing I've been really inspired by watching and getting into the, to know these guys is um, just how much they're doing and how hard they're working and how smart they're going about things. So. Um, Man, whoever wants to take it, may maybe we can just hear a little bit of the backstory with, you know, how did the Hunter Brothers, um, you know, get started? What were what were some of your biggest struggles along the way to getting to where you're a um, nationally charting country act now? Well, that's a that's a big question. We could spend all day probably rocking through. I don't think there's any artist or any businessman or anybody in any really walk of life that doesn't have a story that can talk of the struggles and the ups and the downs and the things that they had to go through in order to get to a certain uh, level of excellence, whatever that may be in life. And uh, and that's kind of cool about every one of us that, that we all have that story. And that's something that I've been challenged with actually through my life is that we need to take advantage more often of the people around us, the, the, the generation that's gone before us I've been challenged you see these these men that have uh, you can tell they've they've walked through life and you start talking to them and you realize wow 
he fought in World War II. Wow, this guy did this. Wow, he established this. And why am I not taking advantage of this life experience of a person that has walked life ahead of me and could impart so many things into my life? And so often I'll just pass by. And, and when you do stop and talk to someone, you realize, wow, there's a whole worth of life experience that I could take advantage of. And, and we're all kind of building that life experience for ourselves. Uh, for us, we started a small town in southwestern Saskatchewan, which is just north of Montana. We're about 40 miles from the U.S.-Canadian border. Um, just uh, It's a little farming community, about 1,800 people. And uh, when we grew up, um, we had a father that really really um, demanded wise time usage. That was kind of his main thing. As kids, he made us memorize a poem. Uh, I remember him taking us individually, and we all have it memorized. It was called Life is Just a Minute. It said, Life is just a minute, only 60 seconds in it. Forced upon you, can't refuse it. Didn't seek it, didn't choose it, but it's up to you to use it. You must suffer if you lose it. Give an account if you abuse it. Just a tiny little minute but eternity is in it. And it, it, that, that poem works on a lot of different levels and in a lot of different ways. Um, but one thing that we got out of it uh, as brothers was that, you know what, we have this certain amount of time and what are we going to do with it? And at the end of each day when we go to bed, what have we done with what we've had? And uh, my uncle was, a, was an Olympian. His name was Jungle Jim Hunter. He was one of the original crazy Canucks, which may not have a lot of relevance down here, but in Canada, he was seven-time national uh, downhill racing champion, won a bronze medal in the 72 Olympics. And he says our greatest asset is time. And so what are we doing with it as individuals? And that was something that was very, really emphasized in our lives as children growing up. And, uh, you know, we were involved in a lot of things. We had the farm. The farm by itself uh, required a tremendous amount of time. I remember... It still does. It still does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is maybe a little bit extreme, but there was a farming hour. We, we you know, the, the typical uh, farmer, I think some of the misconceptions are, uh, or some things are misconceptions, some misconceptions aren't true, but there are some things that are, that are, but one thing is the long hours. I remember we got up in the morning and typically in the spring season, we're getting up at, you know, four thirty, five o'clock, whatever it was. Dusty and myself, the one morning, our alarms went off and we came out and it was before 6 a.m., but, uh, but we had slept in. Luke had gotten up early was out working with dad on the sprayer and Dusty and I ran out. This is going to paint my father in a bad light. He's a great guy. But I, I ran by him. I said, good morning, Dad. And he said, good morning. Dusty ran over right behind me. He said, good morning, Dad. Dad said, good morning. Or should I say, good afternoon. It was, 5, it was like 5.45 in the morning. <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah, the farm, the farm was busy. Uh, we were put in uh, music at early time. Mentioned the, the Royal Conservatory, the uh, classically trained piano. We were all put in piano lessons. Uh, we were also put in hockey. Mom put us in piano. Our father put us in hockey. How did the music and the hockey intermingle? Well, we weren't allowed to go out and play hockey till our piano was practiced. <laughs> That's kind of how it worked. We had two pianos. Two in the pianos house. upstairs. Yeah. Other than Ty, he was the opposite. He wasn't allowed to play the piano <laughs> until he went out and practiced hockey. He was a very strange <laughs> child. No, 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 no. I was. <laughs> I knew what was no. up. <laughs> he knew what would last. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. No, it was kind of cool. So it's between school, between our church activities, between the music, between uh, the hockey, you know, life was definitely full. And, uh, and that was something that we cherished. You know, we just, we didn't really know any different, to be honest with you. That was just kind of what we did. Um, we had a grandfather that was very influential. 
He was uh, he was self-taught in about five or six different instruments. Played the piano, played the banjo, played the trumpet, played a saxophone. Uh, I harmonica. think a harmonica. He played a number of them. All self-taught. We remember going in at lunchtime. We working on the farm in his yard. We'd go in. We'd have lunch, and then Grandpa would make his way over to the piano and he'd start playing, start chording, and we'd go up, sit beside him, and he'd start teaching us chord progressions and why this chord worked with this and how. And I just remember that being a, a, an impactful, it being very impactful as kids. And then uh, he was very supportive of our hockey. He'd often take us to hockey practices, to hockey games, to tournaments, whatever it was. But he said to us, he said, you know what, boys? He said, the hockey's great, but at some point you're going to get too old or you won't be able to do it. You'll have to take your skates off. But the music will last forever, or your whole life, he said. And he really exemplified that to us. He died at the age of 87, and up until two months before he passed away, he was still playing saxophone and piano, and uh, we really saw that in his life and the impact that it made for him. He was a choir director. Uh, my father's older three siblings sang in a trio, and my grandfather accompanied them. And so even though mom was the one that put us in piano, dad's family really had a huge impact on our musical side. And so as Dustin mentioned uh, we've been singing together for a long time even though our country band aspect hasn't been quite as long we have done gospel music for a long time we got asked to a there was a local festival that started 26 years ago right in our area and we got asked as a local group to go and perform Ty was still, uh, mom was still pregnant with Ty, and, uh, and so he literally was born into the music, uh, it being part of it. Had no choice. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and that's kind of where we got our start. We sang, you know, our 15-minute slot on that little local festival, and then that got another invitation here locally. And then this invitation, soon it turned into a situation where we were performing right across Western Canada and down into the United States, oftentimes throughout the summer on the weekends, and so we were away playing hockey literally spread out all over North America and we'll maybe talk about the hockey in a few minutes because there's lots to share there but um, then we come home help dad put the crop in the ground in the spring we'd be training for our next season of hockey but every weekend we'd go and perform these festivals and that's where we met High Valley mm -hmm. and we knew Brad and Curtis Rempel for many many years singing kind of these gospel festival circuits in Western Canada for a lot of years and uh, then as time progressed, and uh, I've been rambling for long enough to let someone else talk, uh, you know, <laughs> things then started to, to, to move along, and, and we made transfers as we went along, but that was kind of the way that we got involved and started in music. Yeah, it's awesome. So we've got, you know, artists, songwriters, uh, people who are really just pursuing it, and I think it's, it's an interesting journey because you guys started as a gospel band, did, you know, the Christian thing for a while, and now are a country band. Um, signed to a label. What what were some of the hardships over your journey of getting to where you are today? Because I think um, it's there's a lot that can be learned from successes, but there's also a whole lot more that can be learned from from failures or from from struggles. Um, so for a lot of the people here who maybe aren't pursuing it full time, but maybe want to be, what were some of the hardships in getting there, and 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 you kind of what did you learn from them? Well, just to kind of translate the gospel to the CCM, to the country world, because there's been multiple veins that we kind of embarked upon. Um, right from the gospel days, um, our dad, he <laughs> he had, uh, and, and you've told us this before, Seth, and I saw that it's sitting right over here, Dare to Suck. Yeah. We had a father who pretty much lived by that, um, and he just, whether that was in 
mostly it was within performing actually in our gospel days because he would just put himself out there and um, sometimes we would be sweating on stage because we didn't know what was going to happen even just performance wise he would he would kind of test the boundaries he would do things that were on the edge like just in terms of humor in terms of um, you know we were on we were on the main stage it was the biggest gospel convention um, in Louisville Kentucky that there is in the world I'm pretty sure and um, we did backflips over each other's backs on the stage. We had four minutes. Four minutes to do whatever we could. Eight minutes, sorry. Eight minutes to do whatever we could, and we did backflips in the middle of the song. He was the second person in the world to do a backflip on ice. He was a figure skater um, back wow. in his day. And so just implementing that, the average age of the gospel <laughs> in the gospel convention was about 70. <laughs> 70 years of age and we were doing backflips but you know it kind of it, we just took a different perspective because group after group after group after group were we're singing everybody brings something a little different but nobody was doing backflips at a gospel convention so that was something that's just an example of kind of the, the influence that we had and I think that definitely carried over into whatever it is that we've done and a lot of those moments were horribly uncomfortable because people didn't get it and it was you know we were trying to put smiles on people's faces at the end of the day we were entertaining right people have a lot going on so um, that was a, a performance element we moved into the CCM world we were uh, offered the opportunity to come and record uh, an EP down here in Nashville actually um, with a producer and uh, we had always felt on our hearts you know we're singing to 60 70 year old people we felt we're singing to the choir a little bit we want to reach um, a younger demographic because we're young guys we want to we want to connect on, on a level that doesn't seem like we're just singing to our grandmas and grandpas even though that was great and worthwhile absolutely Um, but it took about maybe what three or four years of trying this out and um, you know we tried our hand at writing this we tried our hand at performing we tried rehearsals and it didn't work at the end of the day as much as like we a lot of these artists up here on the wall like loved them loved them absolutely like that um, newsboys like even uh, I'll get into that because that's it was ironic how we ended up connecting with you yeah. Seth but um, yeah no I'll say that we, we got off we were in Nashville and we heard uh, the born again album wow which you had worked on we're like man this album is unbelievable like we just were blown away by this record and um so we were we were working at the time in the ccm world and it just wasn't us we couldn't we no matter how much we tried no matter how much we kind of tried to break down those doors it just didn't work at the end of the day and we just said you know what we're we're singing and it's not connecting even though the lyrics are 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 great it, it just isn't us and people kept asking us are you a country band are you a country band and we're like maybe we should be you know <laughs> <laughs> this point we've been asked like uh, I don't know how many times and you know we are farm boys we're from the country you know we can sing about faith family farming you know music life as it was telling stories that's you know the foundations in which country music was was built upon and we just realized you know this is maybe where it's at for us yeah. and so um we um, we through the connection with Brad who they used to do gospel festivals as well High Valley did and they moved into the country music world and so he had been traveling this road for quite some time now 
And we, uh, we, we actually had the opportunity from another producer who was down uh, in Nashville. We don't have to go too in-depth, but it was an experience that went completely sideways for us. We tried recording a country music record. Um, it didn't go well, not because um, it wasn't stylistically us. It was just the experience didn't work out. He went through something personal in his life, pretty much dropped off the face of the planet, and um, we were left with a record in our hands um, that was uncomplete. Actually, if I could jump in there, because Seth, your question was the hardships that we had, and that was one of the, probably the lowest moments of our career, because we had, we had been contacted by this producer. We had done our background checks, we had contacted people here in Nashville that knew him, that had known his work, had done everything we thought we needed to do in order to say, okay, yes, this producer is legit, he's doing what's, we came down, recorded the vocals, we started getting mixes back. And then, as Ty mentioned, communication just stopped. We didn't have a record. We didn't have anything. And for a year and a half, we sat at home wondering. We had no way to contact him because no emails were answered, no phone calls were answered. And unless we were going to come down here and just start knocking on doors, we had really no way to contact him. And that's when we called Brad Rample after sitting for about a year and a half. And and we really kind of hit a point at that moment where we said, I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. Maybe we'll do some stuff up in Canada. You know, we were doing some stuff with schools, which was really cool, but that was, there was a good chance that we were kind of done. And you say, talk about a low point. That was something that, you know, we just, it was a lesson learned, but we didn't know what was going to happen. And then we contacted Brad, which then the connection came through Seth. So can yeah, yeah, no, yeah. for sure. So I think like, yeah, just in light of the low point, the, the CCM, as great as it was, was kind of a low point for those three and four years just because it wasn't us. And it took time to just keep working and keep grinding and keep moving through things and realize that, no, this isn't this isn't where we need to kind of land ultimately. And then that point of just realizing what do, what do we do? I think at that point we were kind of, we were disappointed. It was like, what do you? what do you do we're up in Canada we're in the middle of nowhere you know in terms of the music industry we're from an <laughs> 1800 populated town up in up in Shaunavon Saskatchewan you know with um, no connections really there um, so in reaching out to Brad that was something we knew and in, in seeking out somebody who was successful in what he was doing that that's what you you need to do you need to ask questions you need to you need to pursue and I think that's also where being in the, the realm of hockey being in the realm of farming you don't just give up after after the first time and check out because we knew the ability was there but how do we continue to cultivate that and move forward and so we we did we just continued to move forward and that's where brad introduced us to seth and you know we were like we love that record this is unbelievable and so that's a bit of a a bit of a dream come true and to be honest i mean for, for me personally i know for all the guys this is something we're continuing to learn is to set goals and some things that you don't think are possible may come full circle um you know three five ten fifteen years down the road and all of a sudden you realize oh wait i i didn't even know that was possible at the time and you have to have you do have to have patience but you have to have perseverance and i think um one of the cool things uh, that happened i uh got tickets for for my dad and i to go see the band perry i don't know if you guys are familiar with the band perry but um they were kind of blowing up at that point in time in their career so we went into um, the stadium, and this was a stadium that these guys played hockey in, actually, funny enough. So they had played hockey already in these stadiums. We've often joked that's one of our goals is to go back to these stadiums and to sing um, with mics in our hands instead of with hockey sticks on the ice. <laughs> um, so we, um, 
we walked into the stadium and I saw, you know, the banner of Lindsay L. We watched the, the performances happening. At that point, it just kind of seemed so exciting because I was like, oh, this is so cool. And I watched, I was like, you know, I think I could do that one day. I think that could be me. I've wanted to do that ever since I was a little kid. I was singing in the back of a grain truck and, you know, singing Whitney Houston and whatever else have you. Um, and thinking, you know, I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a superstar. I wanted to be a superstar. And um, that was always, you know, a dream of mine. I, I've always wanted it to be deeper than that, you know, to connect, to influence, to, you know, obviously you guys understand that. But um, then it was, I don't know how many years later, um, we had the privilege of opening up for Dallas Smith on that same stage. And it was just this moment where it came again, full circle, where I went, yeah, this is possible. And I, I think, like, the the dreams that are in your heart, if they just seem attainable, they're not big enough. And that's something that I, I have just continued to realize. God wants to grow and to build our faith and to say, you know what, like, there's so much more that I want to do um, with what I've given you. It may not look exactly how you necessarily envisioned it but he wants to do so much more so that was just something that has been really um, amazing for me personally uh, on this journey is now we're doing country music and now we've had connections with you and things have really started to take off because Seth is an amazing 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 man and that's been reflected in everything every interaction we've had with you I can truly say that that you've carried yourself with the utmost integrity and when you find those people that can really invest in you um, and, and share exactly what he's doing here in in these scenarios um, it's so important and getting back to what you said finding those mentors those yeah. people that can help who have gone before you um, and you're gonna learn something different from each one yeah. and then taking that and and carving the path that um, really is unique for you but it's great it's great great word patience and perseverance so um, I don't want to ask any more questions because I'm sure your heads are just overflowing with them and I want to get through as many as possible um, I've got about 10 or 15 minutes but uh, any questions for the Hunter brothers who these guys are um, quickly rising to the top of the game, have, have been through the low points, definitely been where a lot of you guys are. Yeah. Yeah, quick question. Uh, that Life is Just a Minute poem, do yeah. you know who wrote it? Life, Life is Just a Minute. I'm, I'm going to repeat the questions because this is actually being recorded for a podcast. So. Life is Just a Minute poem, do you know who wrote it? Do you know what? I do not know who wrote it. I remember this, the moment when Dad took us downstairs and it was uh, – it was on a program called The Hour of Power that was recorded at the Crystal Cathedral in L.A., I think. But I do not remember the guy that actually shared that poem. But I can look into that for you for sure. Yeah. What's your songwriting process as a band? How does it work for you guys? What is your songwriting process as a band? How does it work for you? I think we're continuing to, f to figure that out as we go. That's something where when you have five voices instead of one, there <laughs> there's a huge benefit with that because you have five very different experiences personally and five different abilities, um, you know, especially under one family. Um, so that's the, the blessing side of it. The hard part is, is when you get too many things going at the same time, it can really, people start going everywhere and it can seem a little like all over the place. So we're just continuing to learn that ourselves and what actually works and actually on this trip even we've we've uh, been writing pretty much every day since we've been down here and um, we've realized we all kind of have a little bit um, of a different uh, perspective and a different ability Brock oftentimes is an ideas guy so he looks at things how can we say something from a different perspective and 90% of the time he's got these ideas that are just outside of the box so realizing 
ideas like he's just phenomenal at kind of going yeah this is this is uh i'm terrible at putting lyrics down i've tried so <laughs> many times like my whole life i like i have this great idea and i'm sitting whatever i'm doing flying the airplane I'm like man that's cool and i like get down start strumming try and put something down and no lyrics i i just i'm terrible with lyrics and so i've just i've I've come to the conclusion for me, and that, that's not where it ends. I know I'm going to keep working, and at that times things have come together, and so it's not where it ends. Uh, Ty's more of a lyrical guy, and so I've, I've just like I've I've taken my strength, and I've I've just really tried to you know compound on those ideas and just keep building on those and, and get more and my phone is full of ideas and uh, and perspectives and stuff so anyway I, I do still want to keep growing on the lyrical side but it's definitely not my strength so I kind of stick to what I do and I know that when we sit in a in a group if there's all five of us when it comes to writing all the lyrics you know I'm I'll toss I, I kind of sit in the background and I might come out with the initial idea and then if it goes a different direction I'll kind of you know be quiet for most of the time and then spit out an idea that hits me you know from just listening and that sort of thing so that's kind of how i personally write yeah mm -hmm. yeah and then i would kind of like i'm more of a constructive lyrical guy so i'll take words and kind of put them together if i get in a room with too many people and this is something we've been noticing the other day we were in a room with what six people at the same time and as ideas started springing around i my eyes just glazed over and i kind of got a little bit lost it because we were we were kind of going all over the place so actually taking something and running with it i found even it's i almost need to sometimes separate myself for a period of time and then write and that's just something personally it's a little differently different um but uh, then why don't we just go down the line and you guys can uh, kind of say your part too. Yeah, I just, I try and fill in uh, some of the gaps. I've always been the oldest brother. I have kind of oldest brother syndrome where you kind of look after things. And uh, sometimes that's a no. good thing. Sometimes it's not a <laughs> good thing. Um, so I just, I try to kind of keep things on track and I throw in my ideas wherever, wherever works. Yeah. Anything else, Seth? <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's just I, I think it's just understanding your own strengths and trying to determine that in the room that you get your you find yourself in, and uh, trying to to obviously stick to those primarily. Obviously, challenge yourself continually, but um, for me, it's more just melody lines and trying to hear where the song is going to go melodically. A lot of a lot of times is where I fit in. I mean, I, I chip in in all areas, but uh, that's primarily where I find myself. So I try to make sure that I'm not stepping on people's toes that are running with something I can tell in the moment. And sometimes realizing that this idea maybe isn't fitting here today right now. Maybe this is something for a different song in another day, not to try to keep swimming upstream. Is a, that was a good idea, I find. Yeah. Good. yeah, for me, to be honest with you, I haven't done a whole lot of writing. And so I'm not a great person to ask. I am learning that myself. I just kind of, I'm a bit of a quiet one uh, at times in rooms. Um, so I just very much observe a lot of the time. Um, so I'm trying to learn myself. I don't. I He's don't also do a lot. great encourager, though. That's the thing. Yeah. Is like when you have somebody in a room, and that's something you see. Where as you start identifying those strengths a lot more, Luke's a great person, like to just encourage and like almost allow for the freedom to happen more. Because you know, sometimes when you dare to suck, and then you're kind of like, oh no, I shouldn't have said that. Or that's that's a dumb yeah. idea. Or kind of go over here, be like, no. 
no, no, like carry that more. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's that's so important. I don't think you give yourself enough credit, but that's, a, that's, a, a that's the brother saying, you know. And yeah. then for JJ, I don't think we'd show up to our rights on time if it weren't for the fact that he was, you know, also administratively <laughs> putting things, you know, to the paper that way. And so there's there's really with each of us, there's different strengths, but we're learning that the power in numbers is that you can grow into those areas progressively. Like you can become, you know, a, a better encourager um, to allow that freedom. You can become, you know, more pointed and learn more about musical arrangements. You can become more administrative, you know, structurally, lyrically, and ideas like so, you know, allowing all those things to run together. Yeah. Yeah, Mick. Um, maybe you can speak this a little bit from like a business perspective. When you start seeing full-time music income, like what was the primary revenue stream? Were you seeing like, hey, we're getting a lot of success on digital downloads or streaming, or was it yeah. like, okay, the touring, this is this is going to pay for the rest of it? Or where would you see the primary? So, so the question yeah. again being towards when you made your way into a full-time music income, where where did you see kind of the primary revenue streams coming from? Yeah, that's a fantastic question, and I think uh, if you talk to anybody in the music industry, it's it's changed quite radically. If you if you go back a number of years, and and the CD sales are no longer what they once were, and and so that has changed. Um, for us, you know, to be honest, we still have the farm, and we are in that middle of the transition um, as we are transitioning more and more into the music. Um, so that's continued. It's been a little bit of a different thing for us because when we retired from hockey. We, we didn't really talk about that, but one by one, we retired from the game of hockey, came back home through injuries and different things, and we were farmers, and which did music on the side, and now as we're transferring now into more full-time music, and the farm is starting to take a backseat, up to this point, most of our revenue, just because of how our lives looked, was from the farming aspect. Now, as we're transitioning into the music, this is becoming a very real question that, that is very necessary. And we're learning that um, <clears throat> all, the, all the aspects of the music are incredibly tied together and incredibly necessary. If you have no, you know, you hear you need the songs, which you do. You have to have the songs. If you don't have any songs, what do you have? Then nobody wants to listen to your music. You don't really have a career it, from an artist's perspective. But at the same time, if all you are is just, you just put a song out there, but you have no foundation or no following or nobody that wants to say, okay, well, who's behind this song and, and aren't generating kind of a fan base behind it, then that song will live and die and then what do you have? Um, and so that's where we're realizing the social media following and how can we build who we are into that and really have a presence there so that um, now when someone hears a song, they say, oh, those are the guys that grew up on the farm or that did this and then on top of that then then you have the touring that you that is incredibly necessary so that when you do get an opportunity to say okay I've heard this song I've heard about these guys now I want to see them live if we get up there on stage and our show stinks that's not going to build a fan base and so that's it's incredibly important we've done performance uh, rehearsals and, and training where we've had um, well Tom Jackson is one of the guys that we've worked with to, to just work with us through how we are um, one of the things that he said is people you know on the radio they're listening with their ears but in a concert they're listening with their eyes they if, if you don't if every song looks the same 
it's just going to become monotonous and they're not going to see, you know, they're not going to see the difference. And so learning that aspect and, and trying to implement that into our shows so that then when we do get on stage, you can back up the songs that people have heard on radio and, and really display who they have come to know through the socials and all the other aspects. As far as your direct question, I think more and more, and I mean, Seth or any of the guys I think can attest to this for us personally at this point as artists, um, the touring is is very vital. I mean, that's where that's, where the, that's where the majority of the money is now. As songwriters, we are working on that, and we want to we want to get our songs out there. And of course, there are revenue streams that can be built in other in other areas. And Seth is a, a great person to talk to about all these things. We're still learning, but for us as artists at this point in time, the touring is really where the 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 major revenue streams start to start to make sense for us. Yeah, and I think it's it's how good your live show is as well what secures a long-term uh, career. Uh, we've heard lots of stories about people who've had like enormous international hits, but their live show didn't back it up, and they're kind of here today, gone tomorrow. And there's reasons why certain bands can have no hits for 15 years and still are filling stadiums, because they created moments in those shows that people remember, and they can think back, I remember the time I saw them. And then when they get the chance to see them again, you better believe they're going to go and watch them again. So because the live show is where careers are made for artists, it you need all the other components in order to get people in the stadium or to get your chance to, to be in front of people. So it is all cyclical. It is full circle. But the long-term success of an artist, of an act, I believe is built in the live show um, today yeah, as well as the revenue stream so yeah and just to add to that too what i think we're starting to see as well like sometimes as as a songwriter you want to write things from your perspective which is important but even if you're thinking about like when you're writing something from an artist's perspective you know if you're writing for someone and they're going to be performing that how are you bringing the crowd into it and saying what you're saying in a relevant way that people can quickly get on board with if that makes sense so it's kind of like rather than just saying something you you know completely uniquely that isn't really identifiable and identifiable or relatable to the crowd as a whole you know think about the audience that you're speaking to and so if you're writing for a country group you know that might be a little different from a ccm group or what's going to be happening in the room at the time but i think there is that element of just you know being um pointed that way and thinking of the live performance because that is where a lot of the revenue is and that's where people some people they encounter a song the first time live and so they'll see it and then they'll go back and they'll find that song and they'll want to download it so you know that's really important from the songwriter songwriter to the artist yeah one more question for uh, hunter brothers yeah back your hands uh, been up just speaking on that point because one, one of my i fell in love with an artist of relying k because yeah. i saw their show mm-hmm. um what's like a good example of what because i know part of it is playing good song, the song well but also in between the songs interacting with yeah. the audience mm-hmm. so what do you guys do during your set to kind of make that connection or make that joke or make that uh, bring a point across or whatever. Yeah, so the question is, you know, how do you tie the set together? What do you do in between the songs? Yeah, yeah. I think there's some guys that are just masterful at that. Actually, Brad is amazing. Seth can attest to that. Um, storytelling and bringing a, a very personal experience and how it resonates with you um, and how that song directly affects you. And you can feel it, I think, when you see an artist perform. You can see whether it's in path for them and really if it's touching them how they sing and how they present it 
um, the emotion behind it. There's just something you can't really explain it. You can feel it though. And so I think it's a combination um, of how you present it and the story and how that affected you directly and then just the emotion that you bring to that song while you're actually singing it. I think that's one thing for me that uh, just to answer that yeah, part of it. Great point. And that's a great question. And we're, I don't think any artist has ever fully arrived at that perfect no. place where you've, you've got it figured out. Uh, we certainly are learning every single show you learn what works what doesn't work um our father was an entertainer as ty mentioned uh and he loves to ask people you know go around and people say what was your favorite concert why and without fail um uh without fail they say the artist that made it personal in some way shape or form for some that's storytelling and they were just the most incredible storytellers that every song that they sang they they brought you right in the that songwriting room and and you experience that for some it's it's getting down you know jumping off the stage and dancing with the people that are dancing in the front and all of a sudden they're they're there with them they're actually you know it making tang that tangible connection in some way shape or form that people say yeah i was i was right there i was it was personal it was real it's like they were singing to me or they were talking to me or their interaction was with me or whatever it is and those masters the garth brooks in the country world that we just saw Coldplay or whatever it is however they however they bring that stadium into one little room like this and the guys that can do that the best i think are the ones that make the base at least i that's been my that's been our experience and, yeah. and what we're working at and a wise guy once said to us too he compared it to a relationship and that's something that we've learned because some people they want to share their entire story like right off the hop and people aren't ready for that it's kind of like if you go out on a first date and you give give her a kiss like right away it's kind of like, whoa too much like too much like right off the get-go because i'm not ready to like no like i'm just like shaking your hand or getting to know you so where you put those moments is so key in terms of the set as a whole you know your first song shouldn't be that probably that deep down gut wrencher here's my story I if you've never met the artist well how do you like that's that's just it's too deep too soon if that makes sense but he yeah. kind of compared it that way it's like getting your dessert before your appetizer so yeah. I think you know something that's relatable for everybody right away and then in between you find those ways to to connect with people as JJ said and and um, a huge part of that is instincts as well you kind of got to learn to read the crowd um, each crowd is different we've sung for straight up Mennonite communities back at home where people aren't ready to you know they don't it doesn't look like they've enjoyed anything the entire time and really they have but you know you can't shut down in those moments and just assume that yeah <laughs> yeah you don't just you know throw it all right away but it might take a little bit longer and then as you kind of read oh okay we shared this story I can see the connection the light bulbs are going on okay then yes let's weave that in here you have to be willing to be flexible enough to to go off that but it, it is a yeah to, sorry, answer. just to piggyback yeah. that real quick is I think it's a mindset. Um, I think uh, artists oftentimes make the mistake that it's about me because I'm on the stage. That's the exact wrong way to look at it. It's not about you as an artist. It is about us entertaining them. We are here for this to be an evening for you. For whatever reason, you may have come, but you need to leave feeling fulfilled in one way, shape, or form. And if we need to do whatever we can that's within our power, the time we've been given on this stage, to be what we can be for you. Not to not be real for who you are as an artist, that's not what I'm saying. But it's a mindset of this, we're here for you, not you're not here to make us feel good about ourselves because we're on stage. 
Yeah, that's good. Well, I'm sure there's questions overflowing and we could go on for the entire day, but let's give uh, the Hunter Brothers just a huge <laughs> thank you for being here today. So, amazing. So good. Hey, I'm Seth Mosley. Thanks for tuning in with us today on the Full Circle Music Show. It's been an awesome episode. The show is produced by the Full Circle Music Company with editing help from the Full Circle Media team. Uh, leave us a good rating and review on iTunes if you haven't already. Hit subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Share it with a friend. Um, really helps us get the word out. And make sure to follow what we're doing on social media. We're at the hashtag at official FC music. Kind of see all the behind the scenes of what we're producing, what we're working on. Um, we got a lot of things going on here and don't want to miss out on it. So check us out there and we will look forward to seeing you next week.